Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. And uh, so, yeah, so we just really felt like God wanted us to move here, plant a church. And finally, we just got so sick of that sensation that we just decided, let's just do it. We can always five years from now move back. There's always going to be more ministry in California, more people there. So we just came. We said, look, we'll give it five years, see what happens. And we got here on a Monday. We started the church on a Sunday. Honestly, it was like that. We had a room above a bar that we had secured. And so we just went around town inviting people. Hey, we're starting a church on Sunday. You should come. 14 people came for the first gathering and the rest is history. Welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, who do we have with us today? Man, we got somebody awesome with us today. Well, who is it? Levi Lesko. We're excited to hang out with you today, man. He is an author, some what some call best-selling books. And I'd say, Levi, I haven't read them, but I had read the summaries, so that must count for like... <laughs> counts for something, but he's written through the eyes of a lion, swipe right. And then your latest one, I declare war. That's, that's newer. Um, he's also a lead pastor. Really. It's what he does. He is a lead pastor of fresh life church. It's a multi-site multi-site church, excuse me, located in Montana, Utah, Oregon, and Wyoming. Levi, welcome, man. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me on. I'm doing fantastic. Dude, I saw a couple weeks ago you got re- rid of the uh, beautiful beard. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a challenge, a personal challenge. I didn't like bet anybody, but uh, to grow it till Easter. So once Easter hit, that thing was gone, and I felt a lot freer and a lot lighter. But my kids <laughs> were really freaked out when it was gone. So yeah, did you you didn't tell them? Did you just show up and it was gone? Oh, no, no, no. I, I've, I've learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> I, prepped, I prepped them. They, little girls get really betrayed when you change your face drastically. So I, I made sure they knew it was coming. That's so funny. Hey, tell us a little bit about your family, if you don't mind. You've been married for how long? How many kids do you have? Yeah, my wife and I just hit 15 years last uh, two weeks ago. Awesome. And Thank you so much. Yeah, we were really excited about that. Um, and then we have all together five children, four daughters, one son. And then one of our four daughters is in heaven, uh, our second born, Lenya. That's what the first book's about, Through the Eyes of a Lion. And then, uh, yeah, so just have the funnest time ever with them. My kids are just such a joy. Also different. My oldest is 13, youngest is one. And they're, they're, they keep us busy for sure. Man, I love that. Um, we were talking a little bit, a little bit before we started recording, but Levi is going to be speaking at a student life camp for us next summer. And we're excited about that. And we're talking about John 16, 33, take heart for I've overcome the world and it's got a lot of line imagery. So I think you're going to, this was a <laughs> softball for you, man. I think you're going to kill it with that event and that thing. I, I have a lot of ammo, a lot of material on lions. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, awesome, man. Well, Chandler, where you want to go, man? Let's jump into this thing. Yeah, well, Levi, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on. We know where you are today at Fresh Life. Uh, kind of what that journey's looked like. But what we love to know is if you could walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you were in over the years before Fresh Life and how Absolutely. you got to where you are. Yeah. So I, speaking of summer camp, I, I gave my life to Christ at a summer camp at a lake in New Mexico um, in uh, my freshman year of high school. It was the summer before my freshman year of high school, but I'd grown up in the church, but got saved at the summer camp. And, um, 
immediately began serving in servant leadership within the youth group. They had a Saturday internship where all throughout high school, you could um, come in on Saturdays and help basically run the youth group. It was, it was the most um, incredible life changing thing for me because it was, I was given opportunities to help plan trips or help plan discipleship groups and basically just ways to serve. And that really changed my life. Um, Not just being a Christian, but really being actively engaged. You know, that's the difference maker, I think that causes us to actually, you know, be living stones where we're dependent on each other and and that kind of strength. So right away, I began, um, serving in that way and and was developed as a leader and was given books to read and, and that sort of a thing and had accountability with the leadership over me. Um, so all throughout high school, I, I served in that way. I I went on mission trips throughout the summers and, and those were really key moments for me as well. And then out of high school, went to Bible college and, um, out of Bible college, I was hired on through a pastoral internship program at the church that I grew up in, in New Mexico. And I had every role you can imagine. I mean, I was janitor. I was, <laughs> you know, sent to hospitals to pray with people. I was, you know, uh, everything you can imagine. It was like anything, catch all, do it. The weirdest thing I remember doing was polishing communion trays. They, 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 <laughs> this is a big church too, like 15,000 people. They had a lot of communion trays and <laughs> shine them all till the, the command was shine them till I I can see my face in them. Uh, the problem was they were chrome and they were matte. So <laughs> I shined them. You couldn't see your face in them. So I didn't know what to do. So eventually possible task. I shined them until I, you know, my fingers were tired. Then I left, but, uh, yeah. So, and then, you know, from there, um, I was an assistant student minister and then a head of student ministries. And then I was a creative director at another church. And then eventually the teaching pastor at a church. And then, uh, from that position, my wife and I started our church in, in, uh, Montana. Mm, man, that's awesome. I, you are probably talking to the, a demographic that are, have come up similar backgrounds, especially in ministry. Cause what was my first opportunity to lead something? Student ministry, like it, in my student youth group, you know, like preaching. Well, that was my first thing, but I got to preach once. And then I remember running PowerPoint slides, you know, yeah. that yeah. was it, man, the PowerPoint slides. And then slowly got to do different things. So that's really cool. PowerPoint was hectic because before pro presenter, oh. or, you know, media <laughs> shout, I think media shout was kind of the game changer when it first showed up. Um, but PowerPoint, you, you had to give them an order. That was really tough. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If they took the plunge back into the bridge, you, you didn't know what to do. How are you going to get back to that one? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh no. Oh no. So with that, I know before fresh life, you were, correct me if I'm wrong, where you were in California. What part of California were you in? Uh, Orange County. I live okay. in Dana Point. Yeah. And now you're in Montana, right? That's right. So of course, God called you from California to Montana. What exactly did that look like and why Montana? Yeah, that was, that was a weird thing because we really felt happy in California. Maybe I guess that was the the first sign that something was going to change. We, we, my wife and I felt like we could be here forever. We loved this. We were you know, taking up surfing and, you know, we, we fit in, in, in a big city. We liked that, you know, urban vibe and uh, we were, you know, exploring Los Angeles some and San Diego and just kind of really liked Southern California. I mean, hashtag who doesn't, right? Uh, but <laughs> Very true. But we were also open to whatever, you know, my wife and I have never always had the mentality that the answer is yes. What's the question? You know, kind of that's our, our thing. It's not like, God, here's our plan. Now, please bless it as much as, you know, here am I send me. And I think that's that should be the posture you have. So 
if, if you have your dreams in your heart, that's great. But I think you have to have a light touch with it because the moment you hold on anything too tight, ministry included, you know, then if, 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 if God changes, it's going to hurt you and, and, and whatever you're trying to do. So we had a piece about whatever God wanted us to do. And we were just happy to go for the ride. My wife always thought she would live on the mission field. You know, she really had a, um, that spirit. And I think that's one of the greatest compliments I can give my wife is that she's always had a mentality of anywhere if it's Nicaragua, if it's Thailand, anything. And so, you know, Montana, when God began to put that in our heart, like we, we both were, you know, not, it was not, not anything we would pick because it, we've always had the heart to reach a lot of people. And there are not a lot of people in Montana, you know, <laughs> more cows than people, you know? So, wow. um, so, but, but God really began to unmistakably kind of give us a call and a burden for this area. And, uh, I grew up in Colorado originally, so the mountains are fine. I get that. I understand the, the mountain life and there's a lot of skiing here and lakes and recreation and national parks. And, uh, so yeah, so we just really felt like God wanted us to move here, plant a church. And finally, we just got so sick of that sensation that we just decided, let's just do it. We can always five years from now move back. There's always going to be more ministry in California, more people there. So we just came and we said, look, we'll give it five years, see what happens. And we got here on a Monday. We started the church on a Sunday and we didn't, wow. honestly, it was like that. We had a room above, above a bar that we had secured. And so we just went around town inviting people. Hey, we're starting a church on Sunday. You should come. 14 people came for the first gathering and the rest is history. Man, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think we could probably just stop the interview there because there's so much <laughs> truth that we could just break apart. That's the only thing that stinks about this podcast. There's so much good stuff, but you kind of got to move on to the next you question. Move on. But something you said, Levi, I think is great for a young leader to hear. And I'm going to butcher it. And I'm sorry that I, if I do, but the, it's really not about the answer is yes. It's, it's about what's the question right? Hear, hearing that from the Lord. And I think as a leader, posturing yourself in that position to say, here I am, Lord, send me, I'm ready to go. I will say yes, no matter the danger or worldly consequence I might, you know, quote unquote, might get. Um, the answer is yes. That's man, really wisely. Well, I think someone said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. You know, it's like <laughs> whatever you think it's going to look like, look at Jonah, you know, God called him to go to Nineveh, you know, Amos gets sent to the, you know, I think all the minor prophets, if you look at them, they all got sent to the place that made the least sense. God was sending a hillbilly to the big city, even Peter and Paul sending Paul made more sense for the Gentile, for the, for the Jewish world and Peter for the Gentile world. But you know, they, yeah. it's just, it's, it's so I, so you just have to just know that God chooses the foolish things of this world to compel right. the wise and whatever he does, it's to bring him glory. So you just got to go along with the ride. God is a plan wrecker. For Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Um, well, Levi, uh, kind of a two-parter. One, you told us a lot about the leadership positions and your story. When did you realize, oh, I'm a, I'm a leader. And then can you tell us, this might be the same moment, I'm not sure, but can you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on that changed your leadership and your life? Yeah. So I, I began, well, I, I guess I would, I would answer that in two different ways. Sure. Um, first, I would say, um, I began to feel a call to ministry, uh, at a very young age, even before I gave my life to Jesus, honestly, I just felt in the back of my mind, like I was supposed to be a pastor. And, uh, from the youngest age, I would tell people I was going to be a pastor. My dad was um, in ministry as a, as a lay uh, pastor. He had a, a marketplace job, but he would also always serve in different church capacities. And, 
I just sort of knew deep down that was what I was supposed to do. And then after I, you know, it helped tremendously to become a Christian. <laughs> kind of a key so, marker there. <laughs> it's a big moment. Uh, so after I got saved, it was really just more of the same. I felt this tractor being called to preaching. And the first time in Bible college, they said, um, that the students, if they wanted to, there was a chapel service they had every week. And if, if any students wanted to volunteer to, to give a devotional, you could sign up and, and get one of the weeks. And I did that. And, and I would say one of the biggest moments was that my preaching, I mean, I, no one's ever worked so hard on a 15 minute devotional in their <laughs> entire life. I'm pretty sure I, I probably stayed up, uh, the entire night the night before I had a tape recorder. This is, this dates me a little bit. And I, 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 I preached the sermon into the tape recorder then played it back, listened to it. Then we'd make alterations, preach it again, listen to it. I probably paced the entire night, uh, <laughs> on this sand volleyball court, right, writing and rewriting that talk. And when I gave it, it really, it really went well. I don't mean that in like a proud way, it, but it, I, when I gave that message, I felt like I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do. And I would say that was a key moment realizing someone said there's two key moments in your life, the day you were born and the day you figure out why. And that was for me a day when I figured out why. So to, when you figured out why, like I'm going to kind of give the answer, but it's like life giving. It was a very life giving thing to you, but what are some markers of that for others trying to figure out what their calling or passion is? Well, if you're, well, yes. So yes, a hundred percent, it was life giving. It was a rush. It was scary, but it was a sense of like, you know, you know, that old, um, uh, Eric little quote from chariots of fire. He said he was an Olympic runner and he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Mm. I guess I felt God's pleasure in me. Mm. If I'm a duck, I felt like I was in water finally. And, and, I, and I, it was, it was a sense of euphoria and uh, Charles Spurgeon called it unction, that sense of the Holy ghost, um, which I felt like I remember when I got my wisdom teeth taken out and I had to preach that weekend when I got four dry sockets. Uh, no one told me you shouldn't use a straw. He kept telling me not to smoke. And I'm like, I don't smoke, but no one said don't use a straw. <laughs> I should have put two and two together, but I didn't. I got four dry sockets. I was bleeding profusely, but I still preached that Saturday night and hashtag don't do it. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, even then, even that day, I felt like the moment I got into the pulpit, it was like, I didn't even notice any of that. And it was like, I was just in a, in my sweet spot. So there was that sense of it. But then I think, you know, if, if you feel a great burden to sing and you get up and sing and you know, it's like people can tell like, wow, that's, they, they want to put earplugs in. <laughs> Obviously you, you might've missed your calling. There's lots of people on American Idol trying out that we're all like, good yeah. Lord, has no one ever told you you're not good, honey? <laughs> you know? So I think the other side of it is figuring out when you teach people should you know, see that and say, yeah, you know, and, and I guess there should be a confirmation. And there was that for me in that day as well. Mm, that's good. So back to that second part of the question, was there a pivotal moment that you look back on, um, that kind of defined your leadership in life or led, led you to that? Well, as a, as a speaker, there was lots of moments. Um, one of the biggest ones was when I, when I really unchained myself from reading commentaries before I wrote my own sermons, you know, I, I think, uh, commentaries have a place and I always go to them to confirm that I'm not like preaching heresy and off track. Yeah. But a, a big key moment for me was when I began to develop outlines and sermon titles without having first looked to those things. 
And it was really trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to me just as he spoke to Warren Wearsby or to Jay Vernon McGee or, you know, whoever. And so I would say in my my speaking, that was a big development moment. But then as a leader, uh, a big development moment, and I talk a lot about this in my new book, I Declare War, was when I began to really ask the question, you know, what is it like to be around me as a leader? What is it like to work for me? What is it like to have to sit in a meeting with me? And I, I began to ask some difficult questions about my self-awareness, about my emotional intelligence intelligence and about even just, um, you know, what kind of a leader I am. And it was not the greatest thing multiple years in to really have God exposed to me, some things that were not great in me as a leader. And, uh, and so that's been a big development moment. Hmm. So in that, were you asking, let's say with your staff, was that part of like their performance review? Did you ask them that like, Hey, what is it to, what is it like to sit on the other side of me? Or was that more personal reflection? You know, I, I, that, that it, it came more about um, me hearing from God and, and being and, and reading through things and talking to my mentors and, mm-hmm. and being honest about uh, enough to, to really just face up to what were glaring, obvious faults. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, you know, coasting on a gift. Uh, so just because you're a good speaker doesn't mean you're a good leader just because you're good, uh, at one thing doesn't mean you're good at others. And I read a book called what got you here won't get you there. And in that book, I think it's Marshall Goldsmith. He talks about how most CEOs, um, have been successful and therefore assume that their success is because of how they lead mm-hmm. when in very fact, it might be that their success is in spite of their leadership style. And that in, in, in fact, for them to get to where they could be, they have to get past the handicaps of, you know, the, the, all the different things that get in the way. And so that was a big part for me of just realizing, um, there were so many things getting in the way of where I, where I want to be. And I think, the ability to get up and give a good sermon was in fact, probably the most dangerous thing because it mm. caused me to feel like, well, therefore I'm probably good every, at everything. When in reality, there were many areas in my leadership where, where I wasn't good at all. Yeah. I think that just comes with self-awareness. And I think that's a scary prayer to pray. <laughs> yeah, God, let me be aware of the areas that are my weaknesses. And you know, when you pray that, I'm sure we all know this, <laughs> God's going to show you those pretty quickly. And that's a scary you know, observation to make, but that's where you grow. And that's, it's awesome to hear Levi that you were able to, to walk through that and hopefully we can model it as well. So, so part of that going on to the next question is those areas of weakness. Yeah. What a great, what a great. Yeah. Just right look now. at that. Yeah. Look at, look at how that's was so smooth. This is not purposely. Yeah. Right yeah. He, yeah. He knows, he knows where you know, we're going. You know what's up. Yeah. So those areas of weakness can oftentimes lead to some of our biggest mistakes. So looking back was, is there a certain mistake that you look back on or was there a failure or apparent failure that has set you up for a later success? Uh, absolutely. Um, I would say the biggest failure, um, in my earlier leadership, uh, I mean, on my worst day still presently shows up, but it would be asking less questions than I give answers. Uh, so to rephrase my leadership tendency is to give the answers as opposed to ask the questions and to tell in a situation what's wrong and be Yoda and see the staff member in my office at that moment as there to listen to me, give the answer to their problem, as opposed to 
to believe that they're smart, that they have the answers mm. and that they can work that out themselves. And my job is not to give them the answer so much as it is to, to, to help them and to create the circumstances and the conditions under which they can figure it out themselves. Because uh, as it's been, I think, uh, put in the book by Liz Wiseman called Multipliers, um, you'll be more valuable to your organization as a genius maker than you ever will be as a genius. And if you're the, if you're need, the, it's just a prideful need to be the smartest person in any conversation, the smartest person in any situation, but rather if you view yourself as, um, a multiplier of people or as someone who can be the key to unlock the greatness in someone else, you can create leaders upon leaders upon leaders who, who are smart enough and have grit enough and, and are capable enough because they've been allowed the authority and the opportunity to act, to not just be delegated assignments, but to be delegated actual real decision-making authority. And so a big, a big key moment came for me uh, in realizing my failure of consistently giving the answer, mm. consistently having the idea, consistently being the one to see the solution as opposed to even at times biting down on my tongue and allowing people the space to come to that conclusion themselves. I'd struggle with the same thing, man. I remember the first couple of years I stepped into this director role, I uh, felt the need to have all the answers. It's like a burning, it's, it's so hard to explain, like a gun's being held in my hand, my head, Josh, you have to have this answer, but three words to help me, I'm not sure. What do you think? Yeah. Just like, what, what do you think? And that, that, that question, so young leaders listening, if you're in a leadership position for the first time, leading a team of people, whether it's one, two, three, or a hundred, if you, you will probably get to a better answer if you ask, if you say, I'm not sure, what do you think by your team than you could come up with on your own? Cause that's what they're there for. They're there to help you get there. Well, and it's, it's, as, it's as simple as closing your eyes and picturing your team and then asking the question, what do you think about them? Do you think they're a bunch of morons and they're so lucky they have you? <laughs> or do you think these people are smart? They're going to figure this out. And then that completely transforms your addition to that team. Are they a team of brilliant people who you're going to help get to that place of, of the answer or are they just morons who you have to come in and tell them exactly what to do? Yeah, it, they, they are not a means to an end. They are the end. That's they, exactly right. That, that's the finish line as yeah. a leader. And, it, and it's so easy, so easy to fall into the, I've gotta, man, I've just got to have all the answers right now. I've got to give them what they well, need. Yeah, that stereotype of a leader as that person who's there to, to give the answer as opposed to what they should be. I mean, look at how many questions Jesus asked. He was constantly mm. getting the disciples ready for his inevitable departure. And that should be ultimately what we're trying to do too, right? Yep. That's yeah. good. Levi, what book, looking back, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? I'm sure, like, obviously you've mentioned like 10 books so far, but big reader, What's one of your favorites that you wish somebody handed you when you first started leading? That's a great question. When I first started leading, um, the Bible is not allowed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it's like a 21 year few laws. Probably I, I didn't, when I, when I grew up, I came up in a church that focused less on leadership. And you'll notice even in my progression, the way we've been talking, um, I didn't think of myself as a leader, mm -hmm. as a pastor. I didn't think of myself as a leader, as a youth pastor. I didn't think of myself as a leader in probably the first seven years of being a pastor, even though I was obviously a leader. Right? There just wasn't within the church I grew up in the conversation on leadership 
leadership. It was not that, that was not this, we didn't think of it that way. I think if I, you'd ask me about, if you said we're leader, I'd have thought more of, you know, leading in a, in a business sense or in a, in a political sense. Um, I, so I would have probably, if I could go back and, and, and develop some of those early chops on, you know, regular type leadership books, I, I think that would have been really incredible. 21 Irrefutable Laws is John Maxwell. I always recommend 21 Indispensable Qualities as well. It's worth its weight in gold. Just so simple and um, applicable to leadership and getting started. But you, go ahead, Levi. Uh, the other one I would say would probably be How to Win Friends and Influence People mm. by Carnegie. Uh, that one is a every year reread for me because it's just so good. Awesome. Awesome. I've had, I've had that one on my wish list for a while. So I'm probably about to just start that today. I know. <laughs> yeah. You should just, uh, I can remember where I was when I read it for the first time. And, uh, it's, it's, it's such a good read. I mean, you will look at life differently through the lens of the book. Yeah. That's good. You said something Levi and it, and it made me think of another question. And I, I'm guessing you probably experienced this in your church with a lot of young leaders wanting more responsibility and a lot of leaders that I've seen, I, I did a semester in seminary and I, I never went back. Maybe one day I will, I'm not sure. But something that I experienced was people in my class equated being a pastor or senior pastor to being the leader of a church or a leader. And they couldn't separate those two things. So, well, if I'm going to lead a church, I've got, I've got to be the pastor. If I'm going to be a leader, I have to have that pastoral role. How would you encourage us to to look at that and to look at leadership versus pastoring and to be able to parse those different things? And can you be a leader in the church without being a pastor? Oh gosh, yes. It was, so my yes. So I would say um, in in so many ways, following is an underappreciated form of leadership. Mm. And uh, when you're not in that primary role, when you're not in quote unquote charge, I, I think you have such an incredible, uh, important position that's underappreciated, unre underrecognized to, to follow someone else's vision. And in, in many ways, it, it can be a greater sense of, of buy-in when you're able to run a play that you didn't yourself call and, and, and serve as a Lieutenant to, to follow, um, in the footsteps of someone who's been given that mantle of, you know, making that ultimate decision in the buck stopping with them, but for you instead to say, Hey, I'm going to run this vision. I'm going to run this play. And I think for me, uh, I'm, I'm, I look back on with such fondness at the passion and intensity that I applied to even even polishing those communion trays, as arbitrary as that seemed in the moment to me, the fact that I could come in on a Friday night when I wasn't even clocked in and do that, that just, I feel like it was God preparing me. It was, it was the equivalent of David, you know, not, not putting his hand out to, to slay Saul, even when, you know, he could have in the cave done so it prepared him to not become Saul 2.0. And I think a lot of times, you know, how you lead when you're not in charge very much prepares you for, for what you're going to do that when, when that day comes, when you are in charge. So approach that leadership with all your heart and, and, and don't wait for, you know, a prime leadership position in your, whatever that is in your mind to, to give it your all. John Wooden, man, um, to get a stage, you need to sweep, sweep yeah. the courts every night after practice. And he won lots of championships, but where was he? Sweeping, sweeping man, the sweeping the courts. One of my um, seminary classes on Christian leadership, one of the books that we had to read, I cannot remember the name. It was about followership. And I, it was the first time I'd been introduced to that term. And it just kind of, totally flipped the script for me. And just as you're saying, Levi, it's, it's not leadership. We start with followership. 
Ooh, I thought that was really good. That's really good. Yeah, and I, I cannot remember the name. I'm sure if we Google it, we'd be able to find it. So Google Google followership. There's Sounds a like book. a book you need to write, Chandler. So it's already written. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's, a new it's book. Right. Uh, Clay Scroggins has a great book too, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. It's yes. just phenomenal, yeah. Clay is going to be on here Next yeah, week, next couple week, weeks, something like this. Oh, I, I love that guy so much. He's so funny, man. He's a bro. That guy. He's just a <laughs> bro, bro. I love him. A bro, bro. He's a bro. So Levi, as a young leader, what was your biggest misconception jumping into leadership? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the things we really touched on earlier on, just on on what a true leader looks like as a as a multiplier versus a diminisher, and um, and that I think. My misconception would be that I always would need to be certain in order to act. And I think um, the level of certainty that I have about any given decision that we go forward on as far as a big one is uh, it's never been more than 75 percent on anything we've ever done anything. And and I think also uh, my misconception uh, was when I was younger, I would always picture some idealized finish line of having made it. And in many ways, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm a real pastor. I don't feel like we, we really, you know, any step that I would have thought, okay, if we do, if we get to this, you know, when you're a church planning thing, well, if we just get into a building, then I'll, I'll, I'll really feel like you get into a building and then all, all, all any of that does is just change. And I think you're always um, going to be looking down the road to whatever your next target is to, to, to feel like that's going to be the payoff. And I think what you have to, you have to really learn to be content in the season you're in while still having a mind towards the future. And I think balancing both of those dual tensions has been kind of the big key to contentment in, in ministry. That's good. I liked your note about being willing to act even when you don't necessarily have an answer. And I think this might be one of fresh life's or yeah, fresh life's values. Uh, Something about snake birds, am I right? Yes. Okay, cool. So innocent as, uh, or wise as serpents, innocent as a dove. One of my mentors told me that for years. When you break that down as a leader, how, how do we be wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove? Yeah, so good. So um, we, that kind of came out of a study of Nehemiah where he had the sword in one hand and the, you know, the, the shovel in the other, and he was working uh, and defending. And so this kind of idea of, you know, Nehemiah was a snake bird. He, he said, we're going to pray, but we're also going to have a plan. We're going to mm-hmm. trust God, but we're also going to have a battle uh, strategy, you know? And so it was this kind of sense of um, we're going to do everything that we can do, but we're also going to trust God for what only he can do. And so we really kind of crystallized that as a, as a value for us because we realized that we're, we're never going to be a hundred percent certain in, and yet that shouldn't stop us from continuing to act and continuing to strategize and continuing to do really everything we can do. And I think you find polar opposites in, 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 in every leadership spectrum and church uh, where people either are trusting God and just really, we're going to see what God's going to do versus, you know, being completely on man's side and just doing it it all yourself without it, where if the Holy spirit was taken away, you wouldn't even notice, you know, I think there should be that balance where it's like, Hey, yes, we're going to budget. We're going to try to, but we're going to leave room for God. And part of the way we leave room for God is taking steps of faith where if if he doesn't intervene, it's like, man, is this is all going to be for naught. And I think uh, Martin Luther said, it doesn't matter which side of the horse you fall off. The devil doesn't want is for you to ride in the middle. And so for us, that tension of having to be a snake bird is, 
in that place. We're in it right now. You know, we're in a big initiative for a new church. We're about to uh, break ground on next year. The land we're closing on at the end of this month. And it's, a, it's again, a pinch point, you know, where it's like, how, God, how are you, how is this going to work? What's going to, what's this, what is this going to look like? And I think God, we want to stay there. Yeah. As a leader, don't become lackadaisical and apathetic because Satan is not, mm. he, he's always acting. So we can't not act. Yeah. So, you know, we might not know what the right decision, but man, if we're walking on the fruit of the spirit, being led by the spirit and we have a, we feel a blessing and a release from the Lord, man, go lead and make a decision because Satan's not waiting on us. You know, he's doing yeah. it already. I think it's also part of that is leaving room. A lot of times as leaders, you, you strategize and feel like you've got the plan and then you're like, let's roll. And you totally forget to just w- sit and pray about it yeah. and say, God, I hope you show up because even as great as my plans are, if you're not in them, it's not going to, you know, follow through. No so, doubt. That's huge. Yeah. Well, now we're going to move into the quick hitters, Levi. These are going to be short one minute answers. So we'll start with the first one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time maybe do you wake up get into the office, et cetera? Sure. I wake up, uh, usually about five 30 in the morning. Um, yeah. always, always coffee, always, always. Uh, devotional. And then, uh, a couple hours of, of, of work, um, whatever's most important, whether it's a sermon needing to be written, or if I'm in a book writing mode, I'll give an hour or two right there while I'm fresh and freshest. And then, uh, about nine or 10, I'll do a workout today was legs. And then my new big thing is, um, going straight from there into a dry sauna. So, getting the heat for about 30 minutes. And then, um, and then I'm usually in the office, uh, right around lunchtime. And then afternoons I give to meetings, uh, just anything needing to happen like this here today. I'll never schedule any, any kind of interview before lunchtime because when I'm at my most creative is, is pre pre lunch. And then, yeah, after I'm trying to be home by five, five thirty, and not, not on the phone with the kids, with the family for dinner. And then I'm usually about a nine o'clock out of bed guy. So that's my day. That's great. Have you read the book win by Daniel Pink? By chance? No. So he talks about basically the rhythms that we have. So when you can get work done the best. So some people it's in the mornings, some it's, you know, late at night as a night owl. So just hearing you say, would you say that your most creative moments are in the morning, right? Kind of when you're waking up? Uh, yeah, usually about third cup of coffee, about six. That's kind of when I feel like I'm really starting fire before the day's going. And, uh, if I, I, if I'm up before anything I'm doing before nine o'clock, I feel like it's before the world's really going. And so I feel like I'm a little bit winning and the world's not kind of worrying and there's not emails coming in except for the East East coast. But cool. What's your favorite personality test? Probably 16 personalities. Okay. And uh, what are the results? What are, what are your personal results? For I'm that? a commander, ENTJ. So, yeah. uh, so we got three, three ENTJs. ENTJs right here. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So lion, lion personality. Um, what's the otter? Are you an otter as well? What's the otter? So like influencer loves to have fun. Lion is more, hey, let's take charge. But then you kind of have a second, like a a second strength, sub strength. Yeah. What, what test is the otter golden retriever? I would say disc is probably most disc, closely yeah. associated. I know I'm high that. D on that disc. Yep. Yeah. And then on, um, I, Enneagram, I just finally took the, that Enneagram and I'm a three. Okay. Achiever. Okay. That's yeah. why I think Chandler is. He won't take it. I haven't taken it yet. I've been kind of holding out. So I, I sure. need to take it. Enneagram super helpful. We've enjoyed I don't that. know anything about the Enneagram though, what they all mean. 
Yeah, you're just like, I'm number three. Other than that, I'm number three. Number three. Yeah. Let's get done. What else, want, what else do you want to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Ooh, that's good. Um, an unusual habit. I, I would say daily journaling. Probably. I mean, it's not that unusual, but I always write in my journal every day. And so I think that is, is helpful. Um, now are you journaling prayers, reflections, or just what happened in the day? What does that look like for you? Uh, it, it can be any and the above, but it's no less than what happened that day. Okay. And I do it in a five year format so I can look back on the year over year and see what was going on at the previous point. And that's really helpful. What is one app like helpful, useful app that you use every day? Evernote. Evernote. I've organized all my books, all my talks, everything. If you take my Evernote away, <laughs> I'm taking the oxygen out of my lungs. We've slowly been hacking you while you're interviewing. Oh, we've gosh, I can't even imagine. I mean, it, every, everything from the notes, from the books I'm reading and the sermon. I mean, it's, it's everything. It's, it's, it's life. Yeah, that's good. I'm the same way. What has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? Uh, the path between the seas, the building of the Panama canal by David McCullough. Ooh, I love Dave McCullough. It's good. What's your favorite McCullough book? Uh, honestly, 1776, probably cause it was one of the first ones I read by him and it oh. introduced me to his style. And I've, I've just really enjoyed that one. I, I want to hug that man. I was talking to Chris Tomlin the other day and he loves David McCull so much. He like literally went on like one of those Russian sites and found David McCullough's phone number. Like, <laughs> I don't know how he did it. I, I may be exaggerating on the Russian site. He somehow tracked down David McCullough's phone number and called him at home wow. and answered and was like, hi, McCullough residence. And he was like, hi, I'm Chris Tomlin. I'm a singer. I, I love all your books. And just literally just felt the need to like thank him for his contribution to our, our world. I mean, wow. the Wright brothers book changed my life. Ooh, that the, one was good too. The great bridge. I mean, just everything he's, have you got. read John Adams? What's that? Have you read John Adams by, yeah, by unbelievable. Yeah. They're all good. I want to um, hug. I want to hug that man. Three things I've taken from that interaction. I need to read this this author. I've, I've never yes. read anything about this author. Yes, Two, did. we got to get Chris on here <laughs> and ask him about that. Yes. And then three, Levi really wants to hug this author. So now, yeah, once you read it, you will too. Man. Oh, bro, it's, this guy's he's he's a he's a dear man. I mean, he's just the way he writes about these. I mean, that I that you could read six hundred pages on the Brooklyn Bridge, but want more. Yeah, that's yeah, art right there. And. I, I love reading presidential biographies and I've, I've read, I'm trying to read all of them throughout my life and I've read plenty of dry ones, but right. he, the way that he tells John Adams story, you're engaged in a biography. You're like, how is this even possible? I wish he would do a longer work on Teddy Roosevelt. Ooh, I, yes, I do as well. Although he's so old now, I doubt, you know, but we'll see. Each book has to be in a long endeavor. So I will check it out. I'll check it out. To. Levi, last one, man. And uh, this is probably my favorite question on here, but what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? God is going to do more through you than you think he can, but it's going to hurt more than you think it will. Mm. Man, that's profound right there. So good. Well, Levi, thank you so much for your time and joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey all the way from a young leader all the way to now. And thank you for listening today. And we hope that this has been helpful for you and your leadership. And if it has, please go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. 
And if you like Levi's interview, check out I Declare War. Incredible book. Yes. So check out any of uh, Levi's stuff. Levi, where where's a good website that you can send him to? Uh, LeviLesco.com. It has all my book information, all that stuff. Fantastic. Love it, man. Well, thanks for hanging out today. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah. See ya. Peace. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Levi.